it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian hey, Kilmeade. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, uh, Saturday at, one, at 8 o'clock and then again at 11, I think it repeats a third time, we got One Nation uh, coming together and we'll be discussing all types of great stuff from National Image and Light to, uh, uh, from uh, name, image, and likeness and what it's doing to college sports. Uh, to everything with the President of the United States, why he's choosing not to be a leader when so many others, including a lot of Democratic presidents in times of crisis, do exactly that. I'm thinking Harry Truman. I'm thinking of JFK. And also, when you're wrong, admit it. Uh, JFK was wrong when he talked about the Bay of Pigs. He was behind it. They learned from it. They got better from it. Bill Clinton was wrong not to act uh, quickly with Rwanda. And guess what? He regrets it, and he announced it, and he owned up to it. So many times when I'm watching Joe Biden, he'd rather attack Donald Trump than actually attack a problem. It's the anti-leadership that's killing this country. So uh, we have Dr. Oz waiting uh, waiting to join us in a matter of moments. And Carly Shimkus at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Russians are in retreat and departing Kharkiv and heading back towards their border. And it's obviously that the counterattack that the Ukrainians instituted here has succeeded. And the Russians have a preponderance of artillery and it's very good, but their ground forces cannot fight effectively. Battle over Ukraine, 40 billion bucks, too. While I am in support of supporting Ukraine, I agree with Senator Rand Paul. We need to know where the money's going, and putting somebody in charge of that money would be great. Also, the latest from the battlefield, as Vladimir Putin taunts us and rumors of his bad health swirl. Number two. When I reached out in February from my office to the FDA, we received no substantive response. Joe Biden simply has no plan. Think about this. Finally, the administration's realizing the baby baby formula crisis is a crisis for all Americans, not just Republican infants. There are Democratic toddlers, too. Their measures are late and they lack foresight and insight. I have an idea. Maybe ask the illegal immigrants for some of their extra cans. They seem to be well stocked. Number one. President Trump's endorsement opens people's minds. You know, they call you back. They take meetings, which is an important opportunity for a candidate to articulate why they're the best person. I'm strongly pro-life, strongly in favor of the Second Amendment. And there he is, Dr. Oz, politics and primaries. Consequential horse race in Tuesday's uh, Pennsylvania Senate race. Dr. Oz, David McCormick, and now Kathy Barnett comes out of nowhere. Vie for the nomination. And Trump's power is tested. I'll bring you the latest. In fact, I'll bring you Dr. Oz. Uh, Dr. Oz, welcome back. Thanks, Brian, for having me on. So, Dr. Oz, what are you doing to to lock this up? What's your backstretch look like? Well, we've been doing everything possible. I feel pretty good about it. We've got a lead in the polls. There have been some big GOP events with a lot of animated folks this uh, session because of what you were speaking to earlier. We can't even get infant formula. And Washington keeps getting it wrong. And I've made this statement. In fact, I made it at the big rally in Pittsburgh uh, last weekend with President Trump. The only thing that Joe Biden's building back better is the Republican Party. So every event we do, uh, we've got a couple of big ones planned over the weekend, attracts tons of Republican primary voters. They, it will eventually attract a lot of conservative Democratic voters in the general election when I get there. 
You've got a stock car race on Saturday with a Dr. Oz car representative of the acceleration that we've put through this process. But what we really need in Pennsylvania is a clear vision of where we're headed. A lot of people are clear that Washington is getting it wrong, but why they're getting it wrong and what we're going to do about it is the, is the deeper question. And I, I think they're getting it wrong in Washington because they don't share our values. They ignore what, frankly, the science, but also common sense says. This is true in energy policy where they buy into the lie of the Green New Deal, which scientifically is not possible. They, just like they did with COVID, bought into the idea of mandates helping when it doesn't work. And a top-down, one-size government overreach doesn't help us. We have to be able to go back to the individualism that has characterized conservative thought and has made America the, the spectacular country that it is. You're not going to get there, Brian, if you're not brave. You don't say what you see. Right. Uh, so you're out there now, and the latest Trafalgar poll has Dr. Oz, you uh, with 24.5, Kathy Barnett, 23.2, and Dave McCormick, 21.6. Where has Barnett come from? Well, Barnett is a mystery. <laughs> She's, and no one really understands much about her. She's not answering questions about her record. Uh, and what I do know concerns me. Uh, she's been critical of George Washington, the founding father, while at the same time petitioned to build a statue of President Obama in a very sacred place uh, in, in, uh, in our country. She claims to be an outsider, but she's actually been the worst kind of insider. She, she ran for Congress in the last cycle, 18 months ago, lost by 20 points to a weak Democrat. And now, I don't know if you saw but what Sean Hannity was doing last night, but he, you know, he, he revealed all these homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Trump comments. It's like the harshest things you can say, not well thought through, that she makes her the best chance for the Democrats to capture this Senate seat. She's a gift to Chuck Schumer. The fact that she's not known makes her appealing because Dave McCormick and I have been beating each other up. And so people said it was their shiny new opportunity out there, something that we haven't thought of. And all of a sudden she popped into it. But they're realizing, and with all this scrutiny, that she's not what she promises. And that's tapered her ability to grow. And I'm optimistic about Tuesday. So here is a little about what Sean said last night. Cut eight. Republican voters in Pennsylvania and around the country, you need to know the cold, hard truth. Let me put it very simply here. I don't see any scenario where Kathy Barnett can win a general election in Pennsylvania. Let me get specific why. First, in recent years, she engaged repeatedly in some pretty disturbing, very controversial rhetoric surrounding gays and lesbians and Muslims. And she makes no distinction, for example, between Islam and radical Islam on to actually cancel a whole religion. On Twitter, she asked her followers to pray for her because, quote, she was about to board the plane to California and, quote, there was a homosexual female on the flight. So President Trump put out a statement saying uh, that she has a lot of questions in her past that she has not answered adequately. That when she does, he would love to welcome her to the party. But he clearly sees the numbers have gone up. She's only spent one hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars. One hundred thirty-seven, yeah, one hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars. You spent eleven million. McCormick just spent twelve million. So, do you think Democrats are pushing her forward? It's not just Democrats. It's never Trumpers. And it's it's that that number you gave is an old number. The the club for growth. Uh, which is a group that you know I, I thought was going to stay out of our race. That's what I was led to believe. Has poured two and a half million dollars into her campaign, uh, which in, you know it's it, when someone's not known and you put two and a half million dollars in that campaign out of nowhere, you can boost them to the moon. And these folks are doing it pretty clearly because they hate President Trump. They're trying to destroy me in order to get to him. I'm just a you know pawn in this process. Uh, but frankly, she is too. You know, it's not that they have an ideologic. Uh, affinity for what she's saying because they don't know what she's saying. 
She doesn't really have any statements on economic policy that you can pick up on. But the Club for Growth, which is usually focused on those issues, mm-hmm. um, is supporting her and in, in, in doesn't really make a lot of sense for uh, outsiders. But when you're inside the campaigns, you understand exactly what they're trying to do. It's a very tense process because Republican voters in Pennsylvania are really angry. They're angry about Biden. This state has lost more manufacturing jobs than any other state in the country. We're often forgotten, even though we're a top five state, number two energy producing state in the country. And, you know, and people don't realize that Pennsylvania matters in a lot of areas that they forget about. So the state wants to get back into the front lines and they need strong leadership in the Senate to do that. And the reason I'm leading is because they know I have a bold, loud voice to just achieve what's required, share our values, make them clear and be able to articulate in the culture war knife fights. Uh, what we actually desire instead of walking in like many Republicans do with index cards. So Jack Brewer went to bat uh, with Laura Ingram. Uh, he's, a, you know, he's a former NFL player, Philadelphia Eagle, uh, and said this about you. Cut five. I don't think he represents um, what American ideals and conservative principles are. I think he uh, is wishwashy. I think he'll say whatever he can to be elected. I think uh, his money and fame has, is the reason that uh, he got the endorsement. And I think a lot of those uh, that are in power in the media and in corporate America uh, want to see individuals like this. I think this is the uh, old establishment playbook. Your answer to that? It's the opposite of the truth. I'm a fighter. I've been focused very much on what not just my voters in Pennsylvania want, but I've been focused on my viewers on my show for 13 years, the top health show in the world, because I took on big government, took on big pharma, took on big agrochemical companies. I went to war with big tech. I risked everything. I've got the scars to prove it, and I cannot be bought. Quite the opposite. You wouldn't give up what I had. By the way, a very good clinical practice as a heart surgeon, and I've always put my patients number one. You don't pass on that unless you are passionate about what you can do to help our country. And as someone who has always prided myself in respecting the specialty of America that we are, that shining city on the hill, I will always do that. But let me just quote President Trump in his endorsement of me. And, you know, he, he, he wrote that announcement himself. And it wasn't about anything except his passion to win the election in November. And he said that Oz is, is smart, tough, and will never let you down. And so if you're smart, you figure out what the real issues are. Cut, cut through the morass like the Biden administration has not been able to do. Don't go for the fake narratives around gender teaching in schools, which is harmful to kids, not helpful. Uh, and the Green New Deal, which does not allow us to truly be energy independent and drop inflation rates, which are crises right now. Uh, you're, if you're smart, then you need to be tough, too, because lots of people know what to do, but they don't have the guts to do it. And I've always been tough enough to act on what I desire. I'm a porcupine, as you know, Brian. And finally, you know, you, you can't let people down. When folks go to bed at night, they have to know as they lay their head on the pillow, this guy will do what's right for me. Because the questions and their answers are sometimes difficult. And so if Oz is going to do the right thing, he will never let me down. And I'll trust that he'll be there for me in the morning. And that's what I pledge to do for the people of Pennsylvania. That's why I'm going to win on Tuesday. So right now, the Monmouth did a poll, and they said, uh, choose the single most important issue from six policy areas. Economic policy is number one. Do you know what number two is now? Abortion because of Roe v. Wade. And it looks like it's going to be overturned in about a month. What's your reaction to people who say, well, Dr. Oz, when he's on television, he's pro-choice. And now that he's running for office, he's pro-life. That, that is a fiction based on $35 million of advertising, almost all from outside Pennsylvania. And it's a fiction created on purpose because, you know, if you're a guy on entertainment, it, it's sort of easy to believe that maybe he's not clear on pro-life. But I've been explicit about my pro-life stance in mixed 
groups where there's lots of pro-choice people. That's what a real pro-life person does. They don't just say it when they're with their friends. They say it in public when they're surrounded by people who don't respect that position. And as a pro-life candidate and someone who, by the way, my mother-in-law, the hardest endorsement for me wasn't President Trump. It was my mother-in-law 37 years ago. And I live in the house right now, by the way, that I got married in. And she's top. She's an ordained minister, uh, circulated a lot of the pro-life literature back in the 80s and 90s in Montgomery County in Pennsylvania, where, where we live. And uh, as a heart surgeon, I respected her position because I saw tiny little babies with hearts sacredly pushing blood forward. You don't want to ever think of hurting that child at that age or nine months earlier because life starts at conception. That's always been my position. They can create these false narratives, but the pro-life movement, I think, is in a good place. The, uh, the overturn of Roe versus Wade, which I do believe will happen, will push this back to the states where it should have been, and I'm a constitutionalist. I'm very strong, as you know, on the First Amendment, what you and I practice, the freedom to say whatever you want to say, including all those clips from either side. Learn everything. Everybody gets smart, including, by the way, Kathy Barnett. You know, don't vote to actually understand what she stands for. Uh, number two is Second Amendment because you know it's it's there to protect all the others. But the Tenth Amendment we forget, which is if the federal government isn't given the right to do something, it falls back to the states. Roe versus Wade must be overturned. So I want you to hear what Joe President Biden's been focusing on with the baby formula shortage, uh, with the inflation as it is, the gas prices at all time high, and the uh, the challenges that Ukraine brings on a daily basis. Listen to what he was focusing on. My Republican colleagues say these programs to help the working class and middle class people, that's, they say that's why we have inflation. They're dead wrong. Under my predecessor, the great MAGA king, the deficit increased every single year he was president. What, what, what's this MAGA king, ultra MAGA? What do you think he's getting at? What do people tell you on the stump when you're traveling around? Are you running for that label if someone calls you that? No, and it is shocking that he's like a magician is trying to distract the audience with uh, verbal assaults on his predecessor instead of dealing with the fundamental issue. And I disagree with the premise. You know, as you know, I went to business school at Wharton here in Philadelphia, and I studied finance and, and healthcare finance specifically, but you learn finance in general. Inflation is being driven by three things. Yes, you know, debt drives it. Of course, we have to do much better on that, and we have opportunities, and Democrats just throw money at props. There's shortages issues like we have a baby formula. You'll pay a lot extra money to get baby formula if you can't find it. But the third and most important driver of inflation today in America is energy prices. We have the solution at our fingertips. We don't have to create our economy by driving up interest rates. Uh, we don't have to create hardships for local communities by shutting down energy. Here in Pennsylvania, we have enough energy to supply the entire country for hundreds of years, and it will be the equivalent of electrifying every vehicle in America. So if you're a green advocate, you should want what I'm saying, except Biden and his administration will not open their eyes past the rhetoric that they're barking out and deal with this fundamental issue. Let us drill on federal land. That's one-third of all energy. Allow Pennsylvania to produce natural gas and build pipelines. But Biden has the message that this is a national security imperative. People do not trust him. I did a huge energy summit out in Pittsburgh. I had the leaders of the industry. They just don't trust him. And he doesn't even call them back. He, he literally doesn't return their phone calls, so they feel ignored. They right. don't trust that some middle-level uh, unelected bureaucrats not going to make some rule after they put a half a billion dollars of investment into a pipeline and shut it down because it's already happened. So in, um, in March, you had 15 percent, McCormick had 24 percent, and here we are days away from the election. Uh, you're up two uh, in most polls, one or two points, maybe three. Um, what Do you think this is going to be won or lost in the last couple of days, 20 seconds? 
focus on the voters. What do you need? We're not attacking each other. Go after exactly what they need to hear to understand why life is actually as bright as they think it should be. Give them hope. Give them vision. Give them some wisdom. And whoever does that best will win. And that's why I think I'll prevail on Tuesday. You think who wins the nomination, who gets the nomination, gets the, gets the seat? Yes, we will beat Fetterman. He's a, a tall Bernie Sanders, and he's a major threat to this nation uh, if we let another Democrat like him enter into the Senate. We must prevail in Pennsylvania. That is my number one goal, get a Republican elected in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz, thanks so much. Best of luck along the way. God bless. Thank you very much. As he looks to close it out. You got it. Uh, That is Dr. Oz. Uh, When we come back, uh, we'll take your phone calls, 1-866-408-7669. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And I think the contrast is something the president has obviously had a good time doing. People have asked, where did he come up with ultra MAGA? Where did he come up with, what did he call President Trump? Big, big MAGA? I don't know. The king of MAGA? This is all. He, he, is, he is having a, a good time being out, drawing the contrast. And I think you will see many, much more of that. And, and that, I think, will be helpful in sharpening for the public what the choices are. No, he's not. I mean, bringing up Rick Scott's one line in Rick Scott's 11-point proposal is radical, ultra-maga. That's an re- insult. It's not even real. Jen Psaki's last day today. Not even real. There's nothing real about it. You just tell me how to get the baby formula. You know, give me an idea how you're going to control the border. Uh, tell me the $30 billion. Why are you content and asking for $30 billion, but you're not going to bat to have somebody oversee it? to make sure the money's going to the right people when it comes to the Ukrainians. Inflation, doing some of the things that allow you people to drill and get oil and gas going. Did you see what happened yesterday? They announced that they are not going to be drilling at 1,000 in 1,000 acres in Alaska that they know is, is uh, full of oil. They just said we're not going to be renewing that lease. How is that okay? How is that leadership? How does that help somebody who's a truck driver trying to get diesel, who's, who's got a station wagon, uh, trying to get their kids, or a minivan, I should say, trying to get their kids to practice? Uh, it's incredible. So going ultra MAGA and the MAGA agenda and you're so much better with me, it's not. We don't care what your phrase is. We know things economically were a whole lot better with the other guy who you call King MAGA. Who could he be talking to? A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you see anything in the fact sheet related to possible antitrust concerns? Uh, according to one report, 89% of the market's controlled by four companies. And the president has tried to increase competition in other areas where it's consolidated, like meatpacking. Uh, so is there going to be any uh, call for increased competition in that industry coming from the White House? Uh, Jackie, it's a good question. I have not been made aware of that being a concern here, but I'm happy to raise it and see if there's more to tell you. So not much uh, going there when it comes to getting baby formula to babies. 
I think the president just thought, well, that'll go away. It won't go away. And I thought it was very telling that you have Elise Stefanik saying that she was contacting the White House about this problem in February. She knows directly, not only because she's from New York State, uh, and they have an issue, but she's uh, a mom of a, of a toddler, not even a toddler, an infant. Uh, with me right now is Carly Shimkus, co-host of Fox & Friends First. He'll be doing Fox & Friends Weekend all weekend, right? Not an infant. Carly, not an infant. I am not an infant. You, are you full grown? I was grown? at one time. Right. Full grown? Yes. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope I don't grow any taller. Right. I, I, I hope that's over for me. Did you? I've reached my peak. Did you height. not want to be tall, or you you're happy you're tall, right? Yeah, I don't mind being tall. When okay. when you're in your awkward phase and you're a girl and you're the tallest person in your class, it's it's never the greatest place to be. Mm-hmm. And that's where a good pa- good parenting comes in. Where no, Carly, you're you're not freakishly tall. You're it's beautiful. <laughs> Freakishly that was told. my mom. You that don't need, mom. Carl, you don't need friends. You know, <laughs> you have us. Know. You have family. I remember when I was in second grade, um, we had a lesson on emperor penguins, and I was the only person in my class as tall as the emperor penguin. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Besides that, That's you, my claim you, to fame. Yeah, but besides that, you're pretty much over it, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not really plaguing you. No, nope, nope. So, So when it comes to uh, baby formula, why was he not in front of that plant? Oh, I, I brought gosh. this up uh, a couple of days ago. You don't go out to a generic farm and, and blame Vladimir Putin. I know. You go show up at that, uh, that Sturgis plant, point. that Abbott plant. Yeah, it's such a great point. And the way I understand it is that um, this all started in September of last year. So the very day that the first baby um, got sick from drinking formula from the Abbott Lab in Sturgis, Michigan, the FDA, the very day they heard about it, the FDA went to that facility. They checked it out, did an inspection, and they didn't find um, anything wrong with it. So then three more babies got sick. They went back in January they saw that there was this bacteria on several surfaces in the facility, and that's when they shut it down. And now everybody knows that baby formula is made by, like, three companies in this country. Abbott has it controls 43% of the baby formula. So how could the FDA not have alerted the president to alert the American people and moms, hey, listen, this is going to be a big problem. Stock up now while you can. Or maybe they did, and the message just didn't. They, they just didn't take it seriously, but there was a serious lapse in judgment by the administration to not alert the American people. So the the reason this happened isn't the Biden administration's fault, but the fact that they didn't warn people or come up with some sort of contingency plan to make it better is. Uh, by the way, I just say terrible staff. Who's your commerce secretary? Yeah. You know, where's your supply chain guy? You know, it was the minute that happens, like he, pray, he said, you know, they did this whole thing with meat. Only a certain amount of companies make meat, and he wants to break it up. So right away, the first thing he says, no gouging. Okay, calm down. I don't want anybody gouging prices. And I want a limitation on how much baby formula you can get. Right away, it's the people's, it's the people's fault for gouging. Why are you coming down on people? If you're not coming down on big businesses, you're coming down on big families. Here's Elise Stefanik, cut 14. Today, House Republicans are here to push for action from the FDA and the Biden administration, who should have had a plan for this shortage months ago. Instead, bare shelves Biden has continued to pass the buck. Babies have been put to bed hungry, while parents are desperately trying to find alternative formulas that are often difficult to, to procure. This is not a third world country. This should never happen in the United States of America. And she went on to say this, cut 13. When I reached out in February from my office to the FDA, we received no substantive response. Joe Biden simply has no plan. 
So instead of say coming up with King Maga and Ultra Maga, oh. just solve a problem. I know. No it, one blames uh, him for it, but not get, not getting ahead of it is his fault. I know. And Elise Stefanik is so right. I mean, just to th- think about that. The fact that there's a baby formula shortage in this country right now. It, like we're a third world country, not the richest uh, country in the world. And yeah, I was just talking to one of my friends who lives on Long Island and her baby is 11 months old. Um, and she was going to keep her on formula for a little longer and says, I'm switching her to milk because she can't find it. She can't find it anywhere. I just, it just blows my mind. And you feel so bad for these moms who have babies that have colicky or stomach issues and they rely on a certain formula and they're calling places up three hours away, willing to drive, by the way, when gas prices are sky high. So that's another, um, more money wasted on, on gasoline just to get baby formula. It's so sad. So what the president did yesterday was he had this discussion with uh, uh, baby formula makers, and then he comes up with this plan. Um, he's going to try and increase imports from other countries, tackle price gouging. Um, is it enough? I don't know. Uh, some people say that it's time to enact the Defense Production Act again. Yeah. Um, he says that he's not going to go there. Uh, but I, they're That's they're when you leading force companies behind. to make this. Yeah, so. yeah. Would this? I, this feels like we're going to make Ford warrant. Motors. Ford Motors going to do that, like they did the <laughs> oh, would it be a, ventilators? Do you, uh, would it, it wouldn't be a car company, would it? That would have to make uh, baby formula. I don't know. I was out of Ford. They took great pride in, in making those ventilators. Yeah, they stopped well, all production and started doing it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm that's not, a little bit closer to a car than right. baby formula. I don't know but if I, I, your I, don't know if I want a, a guy, old, you know, in a jumpsuit that's all full of oil and stuff, making my baby <laughs> formula, uh, screwing the nipple on the yeah. jar. But I think it just shows that people are frustrated and looking for more solutions than what the administration is, has provided. So, yeah, this is what they're doing. So We're going to increase the supply of formula through increasing imports. Okay. Calling on the FTC and state attorney general to crack down on a gouging. All right. Cutting red tape. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, who's the, putting up the red good, tape? Well, but they're fine. But this is not an emergency. That doesn't sound like an emergency. No. They're going to have they're gonna be a hearing in two weeks in Congress. No, Take there, your time. There needs to be. Um, I, I, I just it feels like the president doesn't want to win. You know, when you look at um, Trump's presidency, you knew he woke up every single morning was like, I want to win. Yeah, Yeah, I want to win. I want to win for the American people. I also want to make my critics' lives more difficult uh, because I'm going to produce results. feels like, you know, Biden just rolls out of bed, looks at the schedule, what's going on. I mean, there are several crises in this country right now that he's absolutely not paying attention to. Um, Some of them are political, like the border, but the baby formula thing is an non-political issue uh, there should he should have had a huge press conference speech he should have gotten you know the um makers you know when during the pandemic when president biden had those pre- or president mm-hmm. trump had those press conferences and had the ceos of all these various companies he should have done something like that and said i am on this issue because right. there's so many bring the cameras republican in. and democrat but you know parents. he's not bringing the camera in he, because, he's, because he struggles yeah. he struggles in conversation he struggles at the prompter i'm not really sure you know, I, don't tell me he stutters. His, he lost his stuttering when he was twenty-one years. Oh, when he was twenty years old, he's now seventy-nine. He's almost eighty. His approval rating, according to the latest Monmouth poll, is at thirty-eight um, percent. When asked, would you say things in the country are going well? Eighteen percent said yes. Seventy-nine percent said wrong. Choose the single most important issue from a policy agenda. Number one, economic policy, twenty-six percent. Number two is abortion, twenty-five percent. Number three is health care. Number four is immigration. And number five is gun control. When you look at the second item, that's what Chuck Schumer wants to make hay over. Yeah, but you don't know. I mean, you don't know if those people are saying that it's important to them because they're pro-choice or pro-life. Right. There's a lot of energy on the pro-life side as well. Um, I don't think that 
focusing on abortion is going to be a winner in the way Democrats think it is. Because if you look at what's happened so far, you had the firebombing of a pro-life center in Wisconsin. You have uh, Justice Alito, you know, in an undisclosed location. And all of these Supreme Court justices are marching to their home or all these protesters are marching to the Supreme Court justices' homes. And I think a majority of America, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, looks at that and goes, my goodness, that is so extreme. Here is Kimberly Strassel on what the president's looking at in terms of head to headwinds and the Democrats heading into the midterms right now. Cut 20. Those polls show that this is a pervasive problem now for them. What's even more worrisome is if you look at the numbers this week, uh, what it really suggests is that we've got soaring demand, too few workers, and that we're now in what's called a wage price cycle, uh, where uh, companies have to spend more to get workers to stay or come on. Uh, they then hike their prices. Um, then workers demand yet higher wages, and up we go. And if that's the case, the White House is really going to struggle to do anything about this. And then add in that most of what it is doing in that it's cutting back on energy supplies um, and adding regulations that make companies pull back. This is the exact opposite of what you need to be doing to help yourself politically and economically. It's true. Yeah. And when it comes to energy, can you believe the same week that gas prices hit yet another record high? It's $4.43 on average. Um, There's that big headline that the Biden administration canceled that massive oil and gas lease in thousand acres, a a million. million Yeah. Over a million acres in Alaska that could have been drilled on. Uh, The Biden administration says it's because no oil and gas companies wanted to buy it. Some people say that they don't think that's true. It honestly may be. The reason they don't want to buy it is because they know that if they do, especially because it's in Alaska, it would get tangled up in all this litigation from you know these liberal uh, climate change groups. And also all these oil and gas companies are afraid to drill right now because you could get the lease, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to make the pipeline and you know do all this other stuff that um, is required to you know bring the energy uh, to the American people. So – yeah, that happened this week, too. Right. Not so good. When we come back, what Elon Musk tweeted out, then what he tweeted out again, and how it affects Twitter. Uh, Carly Shimkus is here. She's going to be hosting Fox & Friends Weekend uh, all weekend long. That's eight hours on the air. Oh, boy. So she's using this to really stretch out and try a few things. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. right. Some of the things you say you don't even mean. You just want to see how it resonates yeah, with my audience. Yeah, it's like, uh, is that how stand-up comedy works? Yes, okay, yeah, try yeah, it this out is my, this, is, this is your comedy show. Yeah, this is like my Tuesday night comedy yeah. seller for my, for my Saturday. <laughs> Thank you. But at least you're not on a I'm only time. kidding. It's midnight. Like, it's midnight. Oh, Carly Shimkus wants stage time. I'll give it to her. <laughs> Mic time. Back in a moment. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Yeah, Brian Kilmeade. He's got a new show on Saturdays because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. President Biden attacked Donald Trump's economic record and actually mocked Trump with a new nickname. Are you ready for this sick burn? Biden called Trump the Great MAGA King. Congratulations, Joe. You've selected the one nickname that Trump will gladly use. (laughs) I I guarantee Trump already has that monogrammed on towels. (laughs) Foolish, foolish move of Biden, trying to play the nickname game with Trump. With Trump? You can't do that. The guy is a terrible president, but he's in the Hall of Fame when it comes to nicknames. Right, Sleepy Joe? 
<laughs> so that's so true. You know what? We should bump in with that on on One Nation for the uh, Katie Pavlich segment. That was actually fun. Remember, I said let's start lightening it up because what do we talk about? Abortion all day and oh. inflation. Yeah. You know, so I said, is there anything funny on late night, Eric? That's all you found, though, right? Did you find anything else? <laughs> we'll get some more. Oh, you do. But, I mean, that is true. It's like Trump loved it. He tweeted something out that made him look like a king with a scepter. It was the Lord of the Rings. Like, yeah, yeah. He yeah. took, like, the, the Lord, last the Lord of the Rings Return of the King logo, and he just put, whoever did, just put his face in. <laughs> Do you think it's going to come out that they just said, just say MAGA, and he said King MAGA? <laughs> well, I just think that um, they, I, they, they definitely had a meeting about this, and they said, we need to— Things aren't going well. Deflect. So we need to put Trump on the ballot in some way and just, you know, say that everything that's going wrong right now, just if he was if Trump was president or MAGA was in charge, it would be a whole lot worse. But but it really does feel like Biden was like, all right, you know what? I remember when he called me Sleepy Joe, I'm going to do the nickname thing, too. But you can't. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) because it says make America great again. Are you against that? I know. I know. But also. Trump's nicknames, whether you like him or not, I mean, they stuck in your head. Yeah. Crooked Hillary, Sleepy Joe, Little Marco. Right. Lion Ted. I mean, you just you just remember them. The MAGA king is like a like it's like a compliment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, it's the king of something. We had Laura Trump on Fox and Friends first this morning. I asked her how um, the family feels about the nickname. And she's like, oh, we think it's great. I'm like, yeah, you're I guess you're Princess MAGA then. She's like, I'll take it. That is awesome. So. Looking at the, I'm just looking now at what the reasons are. If you wanted to solve problems instead of coming up with nicknames, what would you do? Well, number one, what was Trump great at? He didn't like what Jerome Powell was doing. He's like, what are you doing up in rates? Why are you doing that? Why aren't you lowering rates? Why aren't you doing that? He would do whatever it took. What's going on at the border? We got to get down there. We got to stop. With, I'm going to call Mexico. These people can't. So whatever he was doing, you knew he was addressing the problem. You may not like it. So Jerome Powell was asked, were you late on inflation? And I'm not saying you late I don't look forward to high rates, but they say the best way to squelch inflation is to Raise up rates. the rates from zero. Mm-hmm. So listen to what he said. Cut. I can't listen to all of it. It's so boring, but cut 17. So here comes the pokey in the eye question. Did you blow it in being late and failing to recognize that inflation was going to stick around? So I, the way I'd put it was this. We, we were – if you go back to the economy of, uh, of February of 2020, right before the pandemic, 3.5% unemployment, inflation right on target – a little below 2%, and the economy is growing at a couple percent. It's a really nice place. Since then, we've been hit with, you know, the first pandemic in 100 years, global pandemic, and and uh, and then a very, very strong response, both from fiscal authorities and from us, followed by the outbreak of inflation, followed by the war in <clears throat> in Ukraine. You know, if you had perfect hindsight, uh, you, you'd go back, and it probably would have been better for us to have raised rates a little a little sooner. I'm not sure how much difference it would have made, but we have to make decisions in real time based on what we know then, and we did the best we could. So I believe that he knew he wanted this job again. So he was up for another job. The last thing you want to do is start upping rates and juicing the economy. People say, well, I can't get a house now. It's going to cost me more on my credit card. So, so he was-, was looking to steady the ship for his own career. Oops. That's what I believe. Ooh. You know, so. Yeah. yeah, so the um, the Fed is one element of it. The other is policy. And, you know, right now we're at 8.3% inflation. And unfortunately, everything um, Biden is doing really is, God, man, does it make it worse. With just, it's just all giveaways. 
Um, especially think about we're in this record inflation and then the left starts saying, hey, you know, what about student loan debt? He should say, are you nuts? I'm not, I'm not cutting. I'm not going to be doing more giveaways at this time. Instead, he's like, well, you know, maybe it's a good idea. Who the knows? one thing I've focused on interest rates that parents have told me, and thankfully I didn't have to take out a loan, but I took out loans student personally, loans. student yes. loans, yeah. but I didn't have to give it for my family. But they say the rates are 7%. That's the problem. That's what kills you. Not only are you taking out loans to go to, let's say, NYU at seventy-eight or eighty-two thousand dollars, which is insane. Yeah. But you get a loan; it's at seven percent, and then you got to go pay it back. You can't even touch your principal for ten, fifteen huh. years. Yeah. Okay. So maybe lower that. Yeah. Okay. It's so predatory. that's what that's that's good as a way to help the students. Yeah. And I think there's got to be some type of parameters when it comes. I know the free market should decide. But I mean, eighty-two thousand dollars for George Washington University. Imagine what the cost of college would be if you forgive all those student loans. Because that's why it's high right now. I mean, all these colleges are saying, "I'm going to get the money back one way or the other." If you give more aid, they just up the tuition. Oh, without question. Right. Also, on a complete aside, Jerome Powell's voice does not match his face. I've always thought that he has the voice of like a twenty-seven-year-old man. You think, very so young. You, so that, he's got that going for him. You got, okay, that's good. Yeah. Unlike Janet Yellen, who seems to have been told to quiet down her whole life. Oh, my god! Because she could barely move her lips. You can't even hear her when she speaks. Yeah, except if she's encouraging abortion because it helps the economy. Which is? Unbelievable. And I thought she'd be just the opposite. Someone who didn't care about politics because she's coming from the oh, Fed. Oh, super political. Right. Yeah. So, Carly, good luck working without me. Oh, yes, that's right. right. That's Fox the bad and Friends part. this weekend. Yes. Also, Gut Fell Tonight. I'm very oh. excited about that. Why are you promoting oh. this show? <laughs> Why? Sorry. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th, Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Aaron Taylor, director of the college programs. Uh, he's the guy who actually number one draft pick of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, six years, seven years in the NFL, played for the Chargers as well. And he is, like many other people, concerned about the direction of college sports. I always thought there's got to be some way to pay these players, many of which do not go, most of which do not go pro. But this uh, name, image, and likeness is blowing up college sports. Aaron Taylor is going to be with us. He talked about it on Twitter. It caught our attention. He'll be with us. And Geraldo Rivera will be with me in a matter of a moment. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Russians are in retreat and departing Kharkiv and heading back towards their border. And it's obviously that the counterattack that the Ukrainians instituted here has succeeded. And the Russians have a preponderance of artillery, and it's very good, but their ground forces cannot fight effectively. That's true. I'll talk to Geraldo about this. Battle over Ukraine and 40 billion bucks. While I am all for supporting Ukraine, I am also for accountability. Senator Rand Paul slows down the process, but in this case, it is worth it. We'll discuss it. Number two. When I reached out in February from my office to the FDA, we received no substantive response. Joe Biden simply has no plan. Yes, that was uh, Elise Stefanik, 
Finally, the administration is realizing the baby formula crisis isn't just for Republican infants. There are Democratic toddlers, too. Their measures are late, lack foresight, and insight we'll discuss. Number one. President Trump's endorsement opens people's minds. You know, they call you back, they take meetings, which is an important opportunity for a candidate to articulate why they're the best person. I'm strongly pro-life, strongly in favor of the Second Amendment. That is Dr. Oz in a tough fight. The politics in the primaries. Consequential horse race in Tuesday in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz, Dave McCormick, and now Kathy Barnett. A vibe of the Republican nomination in Pennsylvania. I'll bring you the latest. And let's get started there. Who do you want, Geraldo Rivera, uh, as you get to host many or many shows? Who do you think is going to win? Who do you want? Well, I did not want J.D. Vance here in my own state of Ohio because I, I thought that he was speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He had uh, said the most insulting uh, things about President Trump and then suddenly reversed course as if he had never said those things. I hate hypocrisy. J.D. Vance in Ohio, uh, to me, deserves to lose to Tim Ryan, an energetic, straightforward, uh, if if uh, a little boring uh, congressman. But I, I think that so I for Ryan. Yeah, I challenge you there, Geraldo. I Tim Ryan. Okay. I initially right. thought he'd be oh. a moderate, but he was way out there. We there's so many left wing screaming fests he's been on that we could queue up. But go ahead. All right. Uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, I, I, I like the president, like uh, Dr. Oz a lot. I've known him forever. We're in the talk show business together. Uh, he's always been very gracious to me and to Erica. His wife is also very charming. Uh, I think he's very competent. I think the Senate is basically a, a speaking engagement anyway. It's not, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure the, the greatness that emerges, uh, especially with the party line voting now in the Senate. But I think that Dr. Oz could, uh, he, he has flair. Uh, he uh, has endured. He's one of the most enduring figures in the talk television business. Oprah embraced him at one time. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I believe him that he's uh, sincerely pro-life. I'm not, but I, I, I appreciate sincerity. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm all in for Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. All right. So I want you to hear what Dr. Oz said, because people are pulling up stuff from his shows. You'd have the same problem if you or, or challenge if oh, you were to run. imagine my old shows? <laughs> uh, right. Uh, and I'm not even talking about your Fox and Friends appearances. Uh, so here's Dr. Oz explaining that he is not pro-choice. Cut for I was clear in that interview, and it's the only one they keep talking about, uh, that I was against a law from Alabama that would ban abortions and all exceptions. And I am of the belief as a doctor that if the life of the mother is truly at risk, that will be an exception that, that is acceptable. And I understand Kathy Barnett doesn't like that. Uh, and I, as a heart surgeon, respect the sanctity of life. I believe life starts at conception. I take care of babies when they're first born. I know this specialness uh, of the baby. And nine months earlier, it's still life. But she's raised questions uh, in her own candidacy that she's refused to answer, as I'm answering yours right now. She has supported Black Lives Matter and won today a statue of President Obama uh, in, in, in place of other stars structures that are sacred to our country. She attacked the founder of our country, George Washington, as well as attacking uh, President Trump. And what's ironic is big money groups, never Trump groups, have now come into Pennsylvania with outside money, and they are wrongly supporting Kathy Barnett and putting her in contention. And this is a candidate who lost by 20 points when she ran for Congress 18 months ago. How do you explain the surge with so many questions in her background? I like her. She's been on our show before many times. How do you explain the surge with very little money? I think it's probably a reaction to the 
celebrity endorsement by President Trump. I think there is a feeling of resentment. The thing about the uh, the endorsement of President Trump, it is on the one hand makes a lot of people pay attention to you. On the on the other hand, uh, you want you don't want people to feel that you're taking a shortcut. I, I think that JD Vance was bailed out by President Trump, and now I take him at his word. I guess. That he will, uh, you know, be loyal to the president if uh, indeed uh, Trump runs again uh, in uh, 24. Uh, with uh, Dr. Oz, uh, you know, he's going to have to fight that battle. I, you, we are all a product of our of our libraries. Uh, you know, uh, people if they want to get this or that issue about me, go and get Al Capone's vault. Get, uh, you know, show um, I'm a hypester. Go get my nose being broken. Show that I'm violent and confrontational, or you know, a million other things. I mean, there's a lot of great things in my resume. Other things not so not so great. Anyway, I'm not running. They are. I I wish him well, and I I hate the fact that they have started this whispering campaign about him being uh, a Muslim because he's from uh, Turkey, uh, which he's not. I mean, I'm not saying anything wrong with being a Muslim. I love Muslims. But uh, right. I, I think that they're attacking him every which way to Sunday. Pennsylvania's a great big state like Ohio. It's, you know, it's uh, goes on forever. kinds of people. <laughs> you ever tried to drive through it? It's impossible. <laughs> yeah, driving through but, it takes forever. By the way, Allison, can you Google me and see if I'll have a problem running for office? Right? I need to see if there's anything that might pop up because I might declare my candidacy for something. Because Geraldo's got problems, Brian, but I don't have you're, problems. You're too busy to run. You're on, you're on television every half hour. Right. Well, it was good doing the five this week with you, right? No, you're so charming. You are really – you're so uh, ebullient. You're fast on your feet. You broaden the discussion. I, I think you're a wonderful talent, Brian. Yeah, well, thank you, uh, Geraldo. you just glad I'm not uh, Gutfeld. So that's, that's what I was something for. But I <laughs> want you to hear – Gutfeld is a positive as far as I that. understand. So, Eric, <laughs> can you call up uh, James Corden? I want to laugh again. So I just thought it was so ridiculous that Joe Biden decides to attack Donald Trump with all the issues – on his plate, knowing the midterms are six months away and his reelection, if there is one, is three years away. So, Jay, he decides to say, to give Donald Trump a nickname. Listen to James Corden. President Biden attacked Donald Trump's economic record and actually mocked Trump with a new nickname. Are you ready for this sick burn? Biden called Trump the great MAGA king. Congratulations, Joe. You've selected the one nickname that Trump will gladly use. I, oh, I guarantee Trump already has that monogrammed on towels. <laughs> foolish, foolish move of Biden. You're trying to play the nickname game with Trump. With Trump? You can't do that. The guy is a terrible president, but he's in the Hall of Fame when it comes to nicknames. Right, Sleepy Joe? So, I mean, it's true. I was like, who, like who's coming up with this strategy? Well, I think that one was particularly ill-advised. <laughs> Especially after I saw the uh, the great Mega King meme, uh, which had from taken from the Lord of the Rings, but with Trump's face, uh, so he was Aragon uh, from Lord of the Rings. Uh, so if anything, it, it enhanced uh, the president. You can't you can't fight Trump that way. And I think I really believe that uh, our president, and I I wish him well. I mean, my goodness, he's got his hands full, uh, but he seems uh, increasingly unable to. Uh, to deliver, 
He seems. <laughs> You're being very kind. He, he, does, he doesn't focus very well. All right, we got we got about 90 seconds. I want to get to Elon Musk. He woke us up this morning, almost like Trump used to. All of a sudden, our A block changes because Elon Musk tweets and he writes. Uh, Twitter deal temporarily on hold, pending details supporting the calculation that spam or fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. So people have speculated that he's looking for, uh, to pay less for it. And then he writes, uh, still committed to the acquisition. What's going on here? You're, you're someone who's much more invested than, than I am in the market or understands it certainly better. What's he trying to do here? I can say is that thank God I got out of the market uh, at least one third of my assets uh, back around Christmas time because the market has been absolutely brutal to uh, to everyone, including Tesla stock, which is the currency that Musk is using uh, to make the Twitter purchase. And with so with with uh, Tesla hit so hard, uh, I think he's trying to renegotiate the terms of the deal just because he's overpaying. And if he doesn't get Trump on board, in other words, if Trump sticks with Truth Social instead of going back to Twitter, uh, then uh, Musk has definitely overpaid for Twitter. A Twitter without Trump uh, is probably not worth $45 billion, Brian. Right. Uh, Truth Social stock went up slightly, too. And then he said, I'm still committed to the purchase. What about this? Uh, the Ukraine right now, the those soldiers stuck in the catacombs of the steel mill have basically uh, tweeted out or put out a statement asking Elon Musk for help. Well, listen, if I was them, I'd be asking uh, everybody from uh, from Jesus to Muhammad to uh, to Elon Musk or uh, George Soros. I don't care who you ask. They've got a very, very difficult situation. I will say this. I, I have literally, you know how romantic I can be I, I, in the in the sense of uh, uh, wanting people to be better than yep. normal, to, to sure. make historic uh, uh, historic waves. I, the guys that are in that the men and women in the basement of that steel plant are forging the national myth of Ukraine. Of uh, uh, you know, they are Leonidas. Uh, hmm. Uh, the Spartan King, uh, the, if they can just hold out in, until rescue, that would be fantastic. And then the alternative, if they could die with honor uh, in that steel mill in Mariupol, uh, they they will have inspired resistance to the Russian bear uh, that is so heroic and so far right. beyond what most have ever, ever done. Uh, I, I, I wish them well. I wish them survival. I applaud them. I root for them. I just uh, I fear that uh, reality generally trumps romance. Right in that in that situation, but they are fighting. Ukrainians are doing well. Uh, and to you, does Vladimir Putin look like he's sick? Evidently, he's going to have surgery within ten days. They have a whole bunch of body doubles ready to go. What are you What are you hearing? What I find very, very disheartening, and I won't name any names because everybody knows who I'm talking about, is how too many of the uh, of the of the neo conservative, the new conservatives, the most popular uh, people on uh, television and other media, too many of them are now smart assing, uh, you know, and saying Russia should win. Uh, that the United States, uh, led by Rand Paul, that the United States should not be investing tens of billions of dollars in a corrupt, uh, a corrupt state and uh, adopting Putin's language about neo-Nazis and so forth. I find that very depressing. I, I 
I, this weekend, my intention is to start my own assault against them oh. and that whole defeatist philosophy. Oh. Uh, I don't. I, I think that the whole pro-Russia nonsense is, is nothing less than, uh, you know, rewriting of history. It was Russian tanks that came over the Ukrainian border. It was Russia that wanted to rob Ukraine of sovereignty. It was Russia that disrupted the peace of Europe. It was not Ukraine. Ukraine was an occupied country already with the eastern Donbass and so forth, and Crimea for since 2014, and uh, and to to gotcha. say you want Russia to win uh, and the United States to stay on the sidelines. I, I think what belies that notion is the fact that, that NATO is unanimous, that Sweden and Finland certainly uh, want to join NATO. If anything, uh, Russia is more encircled by the West now than ever. I agree with you. I agree with you, but don't, I, I don't, I don't, uh, let people have their different opinions. So okay. it's, it's okay, Geraldo. I don't want you at war with anybody else. Okay. Right? Let's, yeah. let's not get no more wars. <laughs> okay. Let's just, I, we agree, though, 100%. He starts right here. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Geraldo, have a great weekend. All right, bro. All right. Thank uh, you. We'll come back with your calls. And then Aaron Taylor, we go inside college sports, why I think it's in trouble. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, college football. It's time to wake the fudge up. It's taking place right now behind the scenes in the NIL world. is despicable, and it's dangerous, and it's irresponsible. This win-by-any-means-necessary mentality is a poison. Unfortunately for us, I think the genie's out of the bottle, and we can't get this toothpaste back in the tube. But we can pull the damn car over, catch our breath, orient ourselves, and figure out a responsible way for everybody to win that is in the best interest of our sport. Because what we're doing now ain't, and we better figure that out. Uh, that's Aaron Taylor, director of college programming, for a former first-round draft pick of the Green Bay Packers, of outstanding football player, offensive lineman with Notre Dame. He is looking at right now as he'd become a commentator with CBS, uh, an analyst uh, all around and an expert in many areas. He is just really upset what's happening in college sports. He knows what it's like to play big-time sports. He's going to be joining us in five minutes, and he's going to be joining me this weekend on One Nation at 8 o'clock, repeated at 11 on Fox News Channel, because name, image, and likeness. You might have an opinion out there on whether these players should be paid or not. Big-time players bring in millions of dollars, maybe billions in some cases, and knowing they're not going to go pro just to get a education I don't think is enough. However, the way they're doing it now doesn't seem to be working to the degree in which you're leveling the playing field to the best it can for Division I sports. For example... If you the name, image, and likeness, okay, you show up in the University of Nebraska. You got some uh, some boosters there that own some dealerships or own sporting goods shops or own some uh, malls or have hit a lot of success in their life. They decide they want their team to win. So that starting center that might be going someplace gets promised they're going to get a lot of money. They're going to go. That's fine if you're tennis. That's fine if you're the NFL. There's a salary cap restrictions, baseball. But this is based on the success and failure of college sports has been based on this is a student athlete. They become professional athletes, and this becomes AAA football. 
And the thing about football is the traditions that go along with it. I like Alabama. I like things that went back to the 1970s. I like when the player Joe Namath was in uniform. And yeah, there'd be violations and people getting paid under the table. But now, if your team wins because more boosters gave more bucks to that running back, I'm not sure that's really the way we intended college sports to be, which fundamentally is about the fan and, of course, the student-athlete experience. What do you think about that? We'll discuss it and the crisis that could be facing us as Aaron Taylor sees it, and so do I. that makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show we said in 2017 to the ncaa we're not going to rule on this because you have a lot of litigation but we're going to tell you nil is coming it probably ought to come but let's put some guardrails around it so that it really is about that and not about oh boy if you come to xyz university uh we'll give you xyz amount of money and now it's the Wild West. And I think there are all kinds of abuses of it taking place, but they're not abuses because there are no rules. I think we've got to try to get back to first principles, and I worry that we're about to kill the goose that laid the golden egg here. That's former Secretary of State, now with the NCAA, uh, helping out, and that is Condoleezza Rice. Obviously, your dad was a football coach and has great passion for sports. He's going to be a great commissioner of football, but she echoes what a lot of people say. They love college sports. A lot of my uh, listeners right now love it, and they wonder, as much as their heart goes out to these kids that aren't going to go pro, and they wonder if they're going to get paid uh, ever for the time they put in, I'm not sure this is the best way to go forward. Aaron Taylor was so upset by what he saw. He put something that went viral onto onto the onto Twitter and just talked about, and we played it last block, uh, how upset he is about where college sports is heading, college football specifically. He's director of college uh, programs right now. Um, he's a CBS sports analyst, a former Super Bowl champ, first-round draft pick of the Packers, and college football Hall of Famer uh, Aaron Taylor. Uh, welcome. Hey, Brian, how are you, man? I appreciate you having me on to talk about these things that are important. Yeah, I know. And we got to talk about all, another one of your passions, and that is some of the mental health things that go along with uh, playing, playing pro sports or playing sports at any level. We'll get to that. But, Aaron, what brought you to the point where you sat there and looked into your camera and you said, this college football, college sports is in trouble? Well, it was the decision of Jordan Addison and the rumors behind the scenes that I was privy to prior to things being made public where University of Southern California was rumored to be put a pool of money together around the sum of $3 million to entice him to come and join Lincoln Riley and that new staff that was out there and that he was seriously considering that taking place. Since then, he's joined the portal, and, and that's an inevitability. And that's just not intercollegiate athletics in the sport that I grew up playing and the one that I became a Hall of Famer in. We have collectives, which are basically really successful men and women that are behind the scenes putting pools of money to basically entice 
student athletes to move from school A to school B. And that's great for Jordan Addison and his family that makes millions of dollars. But I'm also privy to the kids that are signing away lifetime rights agreements to agents for as little as $5,000. We've seen this in baseball in the Dominican Republic when those things happen. We've seen the infiltration of street agents and what's happened with basketball and AAU. And now the holiest of the holy in college football is starting to see it as well. And this is not what we wanted when we wanted the players to enjoy a bigger piece of the pie. But yet again, it's what's happening. And when you have a win-at-all-cost mentality, everyone loses. And that's where we're headed and quickly. And you're coming from a big-time program, Notre Dame, right? The highest academic standards of every top program. Everybody knows it. They lose a lot of recruits because of it. But if they want to compete, Aaron, what are they going to do about name, image, and likeness? They're going to say, they used to be able to say, we got a network deal. Every game is going to be on network television. That's not enough anymore. It's not. And Notre Dame, just like everybody else, is scrambling behind the scenes to try to figure out these answers. There's always been boosters, right? The old model back in the good old days, if you will, was that a booster made an anonymous donation to a church down in the south. The church hired the parent of the player that they wanted. The church kept their cut. The player and the family got their cut, and player A goes to University A, and everybody was happy. But now it's all out in the open, and it's this arms race. And I really believe that what's driving this is the college football playoff and the financial bonanza that that has become. The television deals are starting to come up. The Big Ten is going to break the bank. But the college football playoff 2.0, if we get to eight or 12 teams or wherever we end up, that is going to be a number that is going to make people's eyes pop out of their head. So this is an arms race. Everybody's trying to position themselves back to relevancy. And no different than what we see in pro sports franchises or the New York Yankees, people are trying to buy their way to success. And the unintended consequences of that could be fatal for what we've known as college football. So it could end up being the NFL without the salary cap. That's a great analogy. It's exactly what it has a chance to be, and it's free agency without rules. There's nothing to keep a player that signs and takes this money from going to another place. Is that what coaches want? I call college football games every fall for the last 15 years. Most of my friends are coaches. What they talk about consistently is how hard it is to de-recruit these 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids when they arrive on campus because they've been gassed up and been patted on the back through social media and all the other means, and the schools are guilty of it as well. What's it going to be like when a kid shows up with a $2 million signing bonus and then decides, you know what, I don't feel like I want to play? There's a human nature element to this, Brian, and, and I was guilty of it, and I'm not proud of this, but when I got drafted, I took my foot off the gas pedal a little bit because I had made it. I had arrived. I had reached my goal. It's hard to resist those things. And there were also parents and friends and former teammates that came out of the woodwork. I became a target and a victim. Everybody had their hand out. That was tough for me to navigate at 21, and now we want these 18-year-old kids to do that? we got to figure this out quickly. So what you brought up, so I'm talking to Aaron Taylor, a former Notre Dame superstar who went on to the NFL top pick, won two Super Bowls, and now is an outstanding broadcaster, but cares a lot about the game where he's in the College Hall of Fame. So, Aaron, you look at what's going on right now. Most people don't go pro. You know, there's an illusion out there for casual fans that those people you see in the NCAA basketball tournament, those people you see uh, playing Division One football are all going to be pro. And it's not close to the case. 
So if we want to get some type of compensation with the player, knowing that people are being litigated, and this really started in California with the Ed O'Bannon case, what is the happy medium? I mean, I know there needs to be an emergency meeting to set up the parameters, but what, what do you have you thought about what they, an effective way to pay the players would be? Yeah, I, I think it's important, Brian, to step back first. And I think we throw around the term pay to play kind of willy nilly, and that's not an accurate dis, uh, depiction of what's going on. It's always been about proportional participation. It's been a compensation. Athletes have always been compensated to receive value for the value they brought in the form of tuition, room, and board, a scholarship. That's great. But the other stakeholders have exponentially benefited from their piece of the pie has grown massively while the players have stayed mostly the same. I've always thought that having some sort of annuity or stipend or control around the participation and and the revenues that you receive upon graduation would incentivize kids to stay at school, to stay at the school that they're at, and maybe protect themselves from themselves a little bit until they've gone through college and maybe learned some of the the blocking and tackling and brushing and flossing of financial literacy. Those are among the things that are necessary. And here's the deal. NIL isn't the culprit, but it can be the hero. It's been amazing that two years removed from Stanford shutting down 16 of its varsity programs because there was no money that we're at this point now where there's hundreds of millions of dollars that are being raised in phone calls that are behind the scenes. And I've gotten mine from my alma mater as well. Everybody is scrambling to figure this out, but why aren't we doing that for mental health? There's going to be a correlated component to this where it adds even more pressure to these student athletes that have so much going on with a higher chance of anxiety, less likely to report what's going on with them because we always wear our game face, burnout because of this single sport focus that we've been going on. There's going to be a negative impact on the mental health of these student athletes, particularly the high profile ones where they start getting booed in stadiums, where they start to crack underneath the pressure. So let's take responsibly some of this NIL money and redirect a portion of it to create a holistic, integrated, collaborative cultural change from a multimodal process to create a basket of support for these student athletes to at least help them navigate what this new landscape is we're going on. I love to golf. On golf carts, there's a governor, because if there wasn't, we would all drive 50 miles an hour on the dang golf course. We have to put a governor on this, and that means oversight and rules. And NCAA is a headless horseman right now. It's dead man walking in the water with Mark Emmert sitting down in the 9-0 Supreme Court's justice decision. So we have to have some sort of intervention. It scares me to death, but it may be congressional because we know how that can work out sometimes. But I think the, the institutions, the adults in the rooms have right. to instill their own responsibility here. And that's a big ask because historically they've been incapable of that. A couple of things. Aaron, back up a second. Uh, Mark Emmert, who's going to be resigning, right, from the NCAA president. What do you mean he's taking a yep. seat on a 9-0 ruling? It, the NCAA has no right to, to govern this? Yes, they have no right to limit compensation based on the name, image, and likeness as it relates to intercollegiate athletics and what the student-athletes bring to the table. That was it. They got kneecapped. It was chop block. It was a personal foul. They got thrown out of the game. It was over at that point, and that's created this confluence of the perfect storm of name, image, and likeness where players can receive money. But prior to that, 
we created something called the transfer portal where players can put their name in, say, hey, I'm, I'm you know, single and ready to mingle, and another school can give them a scholarship. And if they get that scholarship, they are immediately eligible to play. It's the confluence of all of these things that has created this mad rush and this wild west that we heard Condoleezza Rice talk about. And it's always been the unintended consequences and the players paying the biggest price. That's always been the case, and it's about to be on steroids here as we go forward. I want you to hear Bill Snyder, the longtime successful coach uh, of Kansas State. Uh, Here's what he told us in December. I have some mixed emotions. Players deserve some help. The time commitment is amazing when you get into collegiate athletics. But I also definitely oppose to, oh, the way that it has started out. You know, a young person can go out and uh, cut a deal, so to speak. He can get 250000 Another guy can go out and get a million. And in my eyes, it creates a great separation within a program. I mean, your quarterback can probably go out and get what he wants or your star running back and offensive line probably gets nothing. Sooner or later, those guys are going to look at each other and say, why are we blocking for this guy behind us? It just creates some problems. Do you see that scenario? Because you know what it's like on the field. Oh, my God, Brian. Let, Let me tell you what. When I go back through any year that I was at Notre Dame, And imagine some of those guys, even at Notre Dame, where we kind of hand select dudes that are willing to go to a small place and be challenged in the classroom. And, but we're, we're nationally, right. We show up from everywhere, putting millions of dollars in five or six of my teammates' pockets at any one of my four years at Notre Dame would have been a disaster. (laughs) Think about the kids that are already hard to control. You give them that FU money is what they call it in the NFL. and, And excuse me for using those initials. But it's going to be a disaster. And Bill was absolutely right. If you go out to a game after dinner and a guy's making $100,000 and somebody else isn't and you don't buy him a drink or a meal, that's going to create resentment. And that's what I'm so scared about. It's not that these kids are receiving a greater piece of the pie. It's what that's going to do to the very fabric of teamwork and trust and commitment and accountability and togetherness. Winning all costs is going to leave us all in a situation where we're going to lose because it violates like a termite. A termite, it erodes the very fabric mm-hmm. and foundation of what makes sports what it is. And I don't know if we want that on the professional level to infiltrate intercollegiate athletics, but I think if we close our eyes and open them with no intervention right now, we're going to be looking at the Premier League of Soccer and what they enjoy over in Europe, and that ain't what we want. I, I hear you, because when people like the idea of a student athlete. They go to my school. I'm, there, I'm going to that school because Joe Montana went to Notre Dame. Maybe that brought you there. You know, whatever it was. Now, all of a sudden, well, yeah, I went to that school, but I didn't go to class. You know, I, you know I, I, I'm getting $5 million. You're going to kick me out? Well, how about this? I go to that school. I'm not starting right away. Okay, really? I'm going into the portal. I'm going to get more money to go to USC next time. Real quick, Aaron, because we can go on forever, and we're going to talk about this this weekend uh, on uh, One Nation. And we'll have Oliver Luck with you, too, because he's concerned as well. You know, his son is Great. Andrew Luck, and he's with college football pro quarterback himself. But, uh, but Aaron, who has done, do you think, if you don't mind calling, who's abusing the situation or who's making the most of the lack of rules so far in this situation? What universities? Well, to name names, I'd have to name all 130. Everybody is doing it. There's been a lot that's been made about some schools in the Southeastern Conference that rhyme with Schmexa, Schmey, and M. Um, That's a 
an example that a lot of people talk about and point to, but they're not alone in what they're doing. Everybody is complicit in this, Brian, and that's the problem. It's an arm race. It's a free-for-all. People are trying to position themselves and buy their way to relevancy, and in that process are sport that's based on regionality and history and tradition and pageantry and rivalry. We're going to bankrupt the best things about the best and most popular sport in this country if we don't get these things under wrap, and that's everybody's responsibility. All right, Aaron Taylor, uh, real quick, uh, the Healthy Minds Network, how do we find out more about it? Yeah, Healthy Minds and the same here, Global Network is a global alliance of entertainers and sports stars and people in the media like yourself that are efforting to change the global narrative about mental health. We have to make this everyday conversation because just like a bad back or a sprained knee or an ACL, we have to start talking about mental health for what it is, and that's just health. Aaron Taylor, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Great insight. Appreciate your passion. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for the opportunity, brother. You got it. Uh, We'll be back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. According to a new poll, half of Americans think life in France is better than life in the United States and even admit that they fantasize about living in France. (laughs) To which French people were like, what a coincidence. We think we're better than you guys too. That's pretty funny, yeah. But I, I couldn't believe that study because... I don't know anybody wants to live in France. I mean, what do we think France is like? We know people don't work. You know, we know that they're not a positive economic Okay, story. so I think you don't fantasize about living in France because you're a workaholic and you work all the time. But the average person, to think about sitting on the street, drinking some wine, having some cheese and eating bread, it doesn't sound that bad. We could do that here. We got like 50 states with cheese. <laughs> and we get so much cheese and not bread. Not quite the same as sitting in Paris looking at the Eiffel Tower. Do you, uh, Eric, you feel the same way? You, if you, if you, you think France is better than the U.S.? No, that's not what not you said. Not better. They just but, may have some better cheese. <laughs> that's it. I'm like, I couldn't believe that study. Nobody I know ever says, oh, I wish I was in France. I hear Florida. I hear California sometimes prior to the taxes. But I don't really hear, uh, I never hear, I mean, people want to go, people who are very cultured, Ivy Leaguers want to go to the museums, um, well, you know, I don't. What else is there to do? Actually, you know what? The catacombs, which you mentioned earlier this week, regarding actually uh, Ukraine, the catacombs in Paris are really cool. Okay, you that, see a lot of skulls. It's called being a tourist. That's true. It's like I'm going to France for ten days. I want to go home. That's too long. Right. And plus, didn't they leave their parents in their houses in the summer without air conditioning a few years ago? Can you put somebody on that? I'll put someone on that. I don't recall that story. It's true. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. I'm going to be with Janet Bream in a matter of moments. You got to see in, uh, in the lobby, in the first floor of Fox News, there is a, there is a picture of Shannon Bream in her book. It is almost it almost is too big for Times Square. It is enormous. And I believe it's the whole torso. So it's a lot of people on news don't want their torso. I'm pro-torso. 
but Shannon Bream is that way, and she has her hands crossed, as if to say, read my book, I dare you, or I demand you. So we'll talk to Shannon about that, and also what's in the news, Supreme Court reconvened for the first time since this, uh, the word leaked out in fe- of a February draft that said they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. The Russians are in retreat and departing Kharkiv and heading back towards their border. And it's obviously that the counterattack that the Ukrainians instituted here has succeeded and the Russians have a preponderance of artillery and it's very good but their ground forces cannot fight effectively. Yeah, battle over Ukraine, 40 billion bucks first while I'm in all in for getting the support and the money to Ukraine. I am also with Senator Rand Paul. We need to know where it's going and I want somebody in charge of it, especially when he goes to the wild, wild west of a war. Also the latest from the battle of battlefield as Vladimir Putin taunts and rumors of his bad health swirl. Number two. When I reached out in February from my office to the FDA, we received no substantive response. Joe Biden simply has no plan. That's the key. Having no plan. No one blames him specifically for no baby formula. But to have no plan from the winter as we get set into the spring, in the middle of the spring, that's the problem. Finally, the administration says they got a plan and the plan does lacks foresight and insight. I have an idea. Maybe ask the illegal immigrants for some of their extra cans because they seem well stocked at the border. Number one. President Trump's endorsement opens people's minds. You know, they call you back. They take meetings, which is an important opportunity for a candidate to articulate why they're the best person. I'm strongly pro-life, strongly in favor of the Second Amendment. That is Dr. Oz leading the fray in a very contentious battle to get the Republican nomination in the Pennsylvania Senate seat. Politics and primaries. We'll talk about that. Dave McCormick is second, and then a a surging Kathy Barnett is now a factor. What Donald Trump just said about Barnett, I find interesting. But also I find interesting Shannon Bream. She's got a show at midnight. She's also the author of a best-selling book, two of them, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith and the Nine Biblical Families. First, Shannon, do you aware of the size of the picture here in New York at 1211 6th Avenue of you? Oh, yes. I have heard. I have seen. Uh, it has been sent to me by many people. It's like, hey, just in case you didn't see this, you're lording over all of us as we walk into the building every day. So, you know, I like your description of it. Arms crossed, like daring you to buy and read the book. Um, I have just smile. So it's a friendly dare, I would say. Oh, you look great. It's beautiful. But I just want you to Thank know you. you're appreciated. I mean, that's what happens when you're a best-selling author. <laughs> you get full shots. Well, you would know. Right. You would know, multi-best-selling author. Right. But all I can tell you is no one's ever said to me, Brian, stand still. I'd like to take a picture. I'd like to make it bigger than life. And I'd like to put glue on the back and put it on a window. They did that well, to you. you. They do, you do make us curtsy. In your presence, <laughs> which I find a little bit demeaning, but right. I'm willing to play along. I'm still caught in the 50s where women curtsy in front of me. <laughs> that is not that is not the case at all. We but don't com- share our opinions. We just smile. It's right. Great. Well, I share an opinion, but I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> but I'm also allowed to smile. So are you, do you think I'm going to give you an idea of how the president is going to solve the and jot this down. He is going to solve the lack of formula for infants who are screaming right now across the country. He had to, he's going to he's going to do this. He's going to cut red tape. I never heard of this before. Cutting red tape. 
to get more hmm. infant formulas on the shelves quicker. He's going to call on the FTC and state attorneys general to crack down on any price gouging. Good. Let's first start gouging the moms who might think I got to get two dozen cans because there might not be any for my kid to eat. Uh, we're going to increase the supply of formula through increasing imports. So let's ask Spain and France to give us some of theirs, stuff that they didn't finish. So is that going to attack this problem that we knew about in February? Well, I love the victim shaming. Like, you parents out there, stop hoarding this stuff because <laughs> ah. you're the ones who are causing this supply. It's like, oh, my gosh, what mom with a baby who needs a specific formula isn't going to try to buy every can she can find or the but you selfish. Know, or whatever she needs? I mean, yeah, she is selfish. Um, I have a friend who um, recently had a granddaughter literally weeks ago. He spent all day in South Florida yesterday, left his house at 9 a.m. and went to every pharmacy, every Walmart, every Target, every place he could possibly find. And he's actually shipping this out of state um, to his granddaughter in, you know, halfway across the country. And he said, I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. I mean, people are panicked. And yes, we knew some of this in advance. The the recall, that's important. We don't want a single child harmed. And you've got to do that when there's a danger. But can we not expedite um, the investigation, getting the plants up and running again? I mean, there's got to be a way. Well, you said cut the red tape. So I guess that's happening. All right, good. Finally. By the way, I did not know four companies, these Abbott Labs that, in case you don't know, legitimately had to be shut down because a couple of kids right. had salmonella poisoning. They checked it out, and they said there's, the pro- there is a problem here. But when they did this, I don't know the baby formula industry, but for the meatpacking industry, they know it's a small number of people, and politicians made a lot of hay of that. When this happens in February, where's your commerce secretary saying, as President, this is a problem. They shut down the Abbott facilities. That could shut down baby formula mm-hmm. come the spring. We can't do that. You can't do that. You, you know, not necessarily the president's responsibility, but he's got to hire the people that prevent things like this from happening. Elise Stefanik is outraged. Not only is she mm-hmm. a politician, but she's a new mom. Cut 14. Today, House Republicans are here to push for action from the FDA and the Biden administration, who should have had a plan for this shortage months ago. Instead, bare shelves Biden has continued to pass the buck. Babies have been put to bed hungry, while parents are desperately trying to find alternative formulas that are often difficult to to procure. This is not a third world country. This should never happen in the United States of America. And this was the most important thing she said. Cut 13. When I reached out in February from my office to the FDA, we received no substantive response. Joe Biden simply has no plan. You know, Shannon, I can't take their You can't, if you're a Democrat, take their side because it turns out Democratic infants also need formula as well as Republican infants. And this is a problem that anybody worth their salt should have attacked. Yeah, I mean, independent and libertarian babies, infants, also are going to need true? formula. Hey, Alice, I mean, this is, this is that true? Is that true? Do libertarian kids issue. also need formula? They do. They need okay. it um, just as bad as the other little kiddos out there. Here's the thing. There's been a lack of awareness, I think, in Washington about this. Somebody pointed out to me the other day, most lawmakers on the Hill are, are way past having small children. This isn't registering. That's not, you know, the, the friend group that they have and what they're hearing. Or they're young staffers over there who don't have families yet. I mean, there are certainly exceptions to all those rules. But for the majority of them, they're just kind of walking blindly, not knowing about this. Um, we had Bethany Mandel on Monday who's been writing about this for weeks and talking about the absolute terror that these moms and dads are going through. And that same night, a reporter from Huffington Post was going around calling senators, going office to office, and said every senator he made contact with had no idea what he was talking about. Wow. So there's been a complete lack of awareness. Obviously, it's exploded this week, but we're so far into it with some states 
they're down more than 50% of their regular supply. That's not something you can turn back on overnight and solve this problem. So uh, that's a big problem. Inflation's a huge problem. Oil and gas is a huge problem. And the Putin price hike, now we have this other thing that happened since the last time we spoke. Now we bl- blame Ultra MAGA and the Ultra MAGA King, and which is unbelievable. If this was October 15th, I could say, hey, you know, the guy wants, the guy thinks it's going to generate votes. But you, there's no upside to me to a true leader using nicknames for a president that's not even in the news or pretending a senator from Florida is uh, actually leading the Republican, uh, the Republican Party. He's got 38 percent approval rating right now, according to the Monmouth poll. Here's what Jeff Mason said, though the Washington Post even criticizing President mm-hmm. Biden. Cut 23. The Washington Post is certainly right uh, to say that the administration uh, last year said that inflation would be transitory. It did not turn out to be that way. I, in fact, asked President Biden a question about that earlier this week after his uh, speech about inflation. I said, uh, you initially thought this was going to be transitory. That's not the case. Uh, What is your projection now? And he didn't want to give a projection, and that's probably because they just don't know. Uh, they, They want it to come down. Obviously, it is not only an economic liability for this president, it is also a political economic a political liability uh, going into the to the November midterms. And I think it's reflected in the fact that only 14 percent of the country think we're going in the right direction, Shannon. It's brutal. It is brutal. And The Washington Post, which is not a right-leaning uh, organization or publication, has had a lot of criticism lately. Um, they gave, I think it was three Pinocchios to the president's claim that Republicans all want to wait, you know, raise your taxes. You mentioned Rick Scott floated this plan, immediately was shot down by almost everybody in Republican leadership saying, no, that's not our plan. That's, it came out under the Rick Scott campaign umbrella, and it's not a plan for Republicans. So when the president continues to say that, The Washington Post says three Pinocchios. You know that's not true. That's not exactly um, factual. And so, you know, you got to stop saying that. As for the ultra MAGA and the MAGA King stuff, I think the people who love President Trump are probably going to embrace that. They're probably going to get T-shirts that say ultra MAGA or MAGA King with pictures of President Trump on them. I don't think that's the own he thinks it is. Um, I think for the people who are that part of part of that base, they're only going to embrace it and fire up. All right. So James Corden tackled this very thing. And feel free, Shannon, uh, to use this tonight. Uh, It's rare humor in late-night television. Listen. President Biden attacked Donald Trump's economic record and actually mocked Trump with a new nickname. Are you ready for this sick burn? Biden called Trump the Great MAGA King. Congratulations, Joe. You've selected the one nickname that Trump will gladly use. I I guarantee Trump already has that monogrammed on towels. (laughs) Foolish, foolish move of Biden. Trying to play the nickname game with Trump. With Trump? You can't do that. The guy is a terrible president. He's in the Hall of Fame when it comes to nicknames. Right, Sleepy Joe? Can you believe it? They actually did a joke (laughs) the old-fashioned way where they made fun of both sides. But it's the stupidest thing ever. Do you think he ad-libbed it? I don't think so, because remember there was a there was a question in the briefing uh, earlier in the week asking Jen Psaki about who came up with Ultra MAGA or how did this come about? And she said, oh, that's the president's creation. Like he coined it. He loves it. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, I think that I, I don't know if he thought that through if they workshopped it. I don't think what on claim probably told him to say that. Um, but I think the president thinks it's cute. And like I said, I think for the people who are loyal to President Trump, they're going to fully embrace it and love it. So he so, could get, you know, a proceed, a portion of the proceeds off the T-shirt. Jenin, I don't believe everything I see on Twitter, but I believe you on Twitter. 
You said, I might have a heart attack. We did a what-the-heck bet on Rich Strike, and he just won the Kentucky Derby. Is this true? It is true. It was on my bucket list to go. I had friends um, months ago invite us and say, come, we've got tickets, we're going to go. And we did, and we bet on little races during the day, like five bucks here, ten bucks there kind of thing. And when we picked based on stats, our horse literally came in last place. But if we just picked on the way they looked or their name or something, they did great. They were winning. So when we got to the, you know, final derby race, I said, well, let's bet on a few things. Let's do Epicenter and, you know, some of the ones that actually had a chance. But I said, let's do one, why not, um, on the the horse that just got in the race yesterday. I love an underdog. I love um, a long shot. And so we did, and I didn't even realize that Lucky or Rich Strike had won the race until somebody with us was like, hey, you bet on that last place horse, didn't you? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, "Um, how much did you bet? And I told them, and they told us what we were getting in return, and I almost fell out of my pump. Um, so I had been buying everyone dinner and champagne at the Rich Strike pizza party last night at work. It's all courtesy of Rich Strike. Shannon, how much did you bet? I bet $100. And so we got over $8,000 back on that bet. Wow. Now, is that taxable? It's ridiculous. Is that taxable? Um, yes, it is. And if you, I think at the track, if you win more than 10000 they actually send you to an office and you, do, you sit down with the IRS there. Um, but yeah, you literally just walk up to the window and they hand you the cash. And, um, like I said, we bought champagne for everyone around us and immediately started spending our winnings. Uh, but yes, we will pay taxes on that as well. All right. So you've got to put aside 3,500. Was that right, Allison? Because your husband does uh, taxes, right? Does he pay? He doesn't pay though. He doesn't. All right. So, all right. So that's a lot. I hope I see you soon <laughs> because uh, well, you'll feel compelled to take today. me somewhere out to lunch or something. Yeah. I, listen, I'm coming up to do the five, and so if I see you today, I'm just going to make it rain. Now, listen, I've, I've converted it all into one, so don't get too excited. <laughs> but if I see you, I'm going to have that little gun that shoots right. out $1 bills, and Fan- I'll shoot it right at you. Fantastic. And by the way, uh, I always convert all my money to ones because it's Friday, and you know where I'm going. Um, oh, I don't even want to go there. I, I'm going to have to go to HR if I answer that question. Really? Okay. <laughs> um, I like to get change. I do my laundry. And that's why if you have okay. a 20. And you and I'm, I'm sure that you go to laundromats. I'll see you there. Exactly. Uh, so listen, Shannon, I enjoyed our time together. Uh, and Is it I, over now? I know. I, and whenever, if you see a formula and I catch you hoarding it, I'm turning you in. All right. Listen, if I, 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 I'm always one to go out and search for things when they're missing. I had to do that once with a medication of my own that was pulled off the market. But here's what I did. I needed it so badly that when I got to the pharmacy, if they had it, I always left one container because I thought somebody's going to come behind me who needs it even worse than I do. So, you know, leave one can of formula if you can, people. All right. That's enough. That's America for you. Uh, Shannon Bream, thank you. We'll watch you tonight at midnight and see you on the five. See you then. All right. When we come back, your phone calls, and I know I promise, but this time I will, one 408 7669 And then Stephen Moore at the bottom of the hour, he'll tell us how to solve inflation, I hope. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Got a few more minutes before we welcome in. Uh, Stephen Moore to make heads or tails of this. Big thing in the Washington of the economy. The Washington Post does this big story about this theory the Democrats have that the whole inflation is caused by price gouging. That's just their enemy of capitalism. It's got to be price gouging. They, these horrible companies have an opportunity to make a lot of money, so they up the price, causing inflation. There's no economic principle that backs that. 
Mike, listen to WIBW in Manhattan, Kansas. Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. I just learned yesterday there's a diesel fuel shortage, possible outages, kind of targeting the East Coast because the refineries out there are have shut down because of EPA rules. But nobody's been talking about that. I just Googled it last night for the first time just to see if it was actually real because I'd never heard of it before. And you Google it, there's a lot of results, and people are saying about the same thing. There's The East Coast is going to be short possible outages. The rest of the country is going to be paying a lot higher prices. But like the Love's truck stops are already notifying their customers of possible issues, and they're saying June. So, and yeah, the administration so, is not so, doing anything about that either. No, they're not. They're not. And you know why? Uh, and you heard Samantha Power say it. This might be an opportunity for us to make the move, the sometimes painful move to more green energy and clean uh, clean energy. Think about that. And by the way, the person uh, who talks a lot about that is one who owns WABC and he owns refineries as well, John Casamitidis. He predicted that uh, last week with Maria Bartiroma. Thanks so much, Rich, WABC. Hey, Rich. Hello? Rich, what's on your mind real quick? Yeah, Brian, I want to say I respect you guys highly. And I just wanted to say that, like, you guys were talking about the baby formula shortage, and it's not Joe Biden's fault. I kind of disagree a little bit. If you look at all these shortages that have been going on during COVID, toilet paper, gasoline, supply line stuff, to me, I feel it's absolutely premeditated. And this has a lot to do with the tyranny of the Biden administration. Rich, thanks for that. I'll think about that. What I said is they didn't stop it, but they could have started it. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I would say that we fully understand and appreciate how painful inflation is and that we have the tools and the resolve to get it down to 2% and that we're going to do that. I will also say that the process of getting inflation down to 2% will also include some pain. But ultimately, the most painful thing would be if we were to fail to deal with it and inflation were to to get uh, entrenched in the economy at high levels. And we, we know what that's like. And that's just people losing the value of their paycheck to high inflation. And ultimately, we're, we'd have to go through a much deeper downturn. Uh, and so we really need to avoid that. And did he blow it by too, going up with the interest rates too slow? Uh, that is Jerome Powell uh, reflecting back at what we're experiencing now. And that's 8.3% uh, inflation with about a 3% unemployment rate. But that doesn't really matter if you really can't afford much. Rates of your, your pay is going up about 5% way below where it should. Stephen Moore is a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and an economist with FreedomWorks. Steve, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good to be with you. What do you think about Jerome, Jerome Powell's self-analysis? Well, a couple quick things. You know, uh, I mentioned this on Fox earlier this morning, but uh, the, you know, when I tell people the official number on inflation, which is about 8 to 8.5%, I can't tell you how angry people get at me. I mean, they start yelling at me. They say, Steve, inflation isn't 8 and 8.5%. It's 
you know, I'm, fa- I'm facing 20, 25 percent inflation. If the, you know, the, the gas price is up 80 percent, home heating prices are up 40 percent, uh, groceries are up 25 percent. So, you know, the inflation is really biting, taking a huge bite out of people's incomes already uh, and, uh, and reducing their paychecks. But I've been saying, you know, for nine or 10 months, the Fed's got to get you know, this, this inflation tiger by the tail. And I like what that clip that you played by Jerome Powell is right, but my gosh, he's a, he's a daylight and a dollar short. And meanwhile, that speech the other day that Biden gave on inflation was disturbing. (laughs) He wants more spending, more taxes. He's finger pointing the finger at everybody, but himself, that didn't inspire any confidence. I don't think. No, I, I hear you. I don't think he has a plan. He wants to blame Trump, which is so bizarre. Trump's not having been hasn't even been out in public, and you're blaming <laughs> Trump. And when when you want to, when you go back to Trump's record, it looks so much more positive. So I don't even think that he's thinking this through in his attack plan. So when you look at all the things that are going on, what does he plan on doing to attack uh, inflation? Uh, what what is it? He says he wants to crack down on um, on gouging. Okay. He wants to crack down to see if uh, companies are, are just looking to make more profit and not pumping more. He also did something disturbing. He basically roped off about a million acres in Alaska. How does that make uh, that any unbelievable? sense? Incredible. So, I mean, they, they truly talk, folks, out of the, both sides of their mouth when it comes to energy. So you heard, Brian, uh, you've heard um, Biden say this. You know, probably 25 times in the last couple of months. I'm doing everything I can to bring down gas prices, right? How many times you've heard him say that? Every speech. And yet the reality is uh, everything they're doing is trying to make gas more expensive. This is an administration that hates oil and gas. They don't want people to use it. So they like expensive gas. I wish they'd just be honest about that. And so when you take all of these acres off land, some of them were uh, off, uh, you know, off limits, some of them are uh, on the uh, you know, on the on the ground and some of them are offshore, that's reducing our energy production. We should be, Brian, at 15 million barrels a day. And if Trump were still president, that's what we'd be at, 15 million barrels a day. You know what? We're at 11 million. So think about that. We're 4 million barrels short of where we should be at $100 a barrel. That's almost a half a billion dollars a day, a day that we're losing because of this crazy one energy. One other quick point, Brian. You mentioned Trump. Do you know what the the inflation rate was that the month that Donald Trump left office? One point eight or something. What, yeah. Oh, you're pretty close. About one point six. So think about that. <laughs> How do you go from one point six percent inflation in fourteen months to eight and a half percent inflation? I mean, that is a dreadful record. And to blame, and then to turn around and blame Trump. Come on. What is he talking about? Yeah, especially at a time when you really need action, and he's so far from an election. Here's what Reince Priebus said. He knows all about politics and reality. Cut 16. This is where the president's taken this country. Uh, and you think about that what's at stake and what's, what's affecting voters out there. You asked me as an RNC chair. There is nothing that moves the American voter yeah. than when you can't buy a car because it's too expensive. You can't find formula to feed your baby. Your groceries are twice the amount that they were two years ago. So that's the reality on the ground. You might get caught up in the numbers. That's what people are experiencing on a daily basis. 
Yeah, I mean, try to rent a car these days. They cost, you know, 200 bucks a day. Used to be like $89 a day. Uh, try to buy a new car. My wife and I went out uh, this weekend to shop around for cars because our car has 160,000 miles on it. And we went to about four dealerships. I'm not, I'm not making this up, Ryan. He said, sure, we can get you a new car in four to six months. <laughs> what? You know, there's no cars on that. And most dealerships, they don't have cars to sell. Uh, so my point is, why is it all of a sudden we have all these supply chain problems? I mean, do you remember supply chain problems under Trump? Uh, no, well, there wasn't, even during the pandemic, but there wasn't much demand. Would we? Do you believe supply chain would have been a challenge, especially with China shutting down cities like Shanghai of 25 million people? Well, yeah, but look, the, the thing that has really been the generator of all this inflation has been the higher energy costs. And Biden basically declared more war on them. This is what you get, folks. When they say green energy and, and you know, going to this uh, green new deal, it's not going to cost you anything. And now we're seeing it. It, it is a huge, huge burden on families. It's it, and, and that three hundred dollars a day. I mean, three hundred dollars um, uh, a month that uh, the inflation is now costing families. That's thirty five hundred dollars a year. That's like a that's a tax increase, Brian. That, you know, I'm not going to tax anybody who makes less than four hundred thousand dollars. That's nonsense. We all pay the Biden inflation tax, and it's three thousand dollars a year. Couple of things. Now, have the the yeah. point that Vladimir Putin made yesterday, which is actually right, he says inflation is going up, and he says it's because you keep trying to sanction me. But the one place it's not going up is one is in China, where their inflation rate's very low. Number one, do you believe that number? And number two. What would what are they doing that we're not? Well, first of all, I never I never believe the numbers that come come out from China. <laughs> that's a, that's a rule of thumb, right? Okay. They lie about their numbers. So, no, I don't believe that number. But uh, China, look, there's a movement to try to bring as much of this manufacturing back in the United States as possible. And that's what Trump started. Remember, he was the first president in modern times to say China is not a friend. They're a villain. I mean, the Bushes never said that. The Clintons never said that. Uh, Obama never said that. So Trump recognized this um, menace that is China. And I think people are waking up to the idea that, you know, we are forfeiting our um, economic leadership to China. I I said this before the election, and I'll say it again. The two biggest winners from Biden's Biden's policies, Brian, are China and Russia. Uh, and and the president was slow to back to Ukraine, but now he's going all in. So if you there were some things we could do right now to start to to start battling back again and, and fighting off recession that could be coming this fall, what would Stephen Moore do? Well, I have a piece on Fox Business News uh, today on that very subject, Brian, and I call for three things. Number one, we've got to ramp up our oil and gas production. Number two, we have to dramatically start cutting government spending. And number three, we have to cut back on, on, the, uh, on the regulations. How many of those things do you think Biden's going to do? I don't think any. <laughs> right. I, I don't think I any. Yeah. yeah, he isn't. And, and, and that his, his speech said he wanted it. He wanted what he was really pushing, Brian, in that speech he gave the other day was just a modified version of Build Back Better. Can you imagine for a minute, Brian, how bad inflation would be if we had actually passed that five trillion dollar spending bill? Thank God for Joe Manchin saving our country uh, from a bill that would have been an economic wrecking ball. And and now he's pitching it in smaller parts. Oh, we need more green energy number. We need more child care subsidies. We need elder care subsidies. We need subsidies for this industry, that industry. They're like, 
electric industry. Let's just get the spending back down to some kind of normal level. We spent $3 trillion under Biden. We don't have. Uh, yes, uh, that is true. But I want you to hear another cut from Jerome Powell. Uh, he was asked if he blew it on inflation, uh, could he, would he redo anything? Let's listen. Cut 17. So here comes the pokey in the eye question. Did you blow it in being late and failing to recognize that inflation was going to stick around? So I, the way I'd put it was this. We, we were, if you go back to the economy of, uh, of February of 2020, right before the pandemic, 3.5% unemployment, inflation right on target, a little below 2%, and the economy's growing at a couple percent. It's a really nice place. Since then, we've been hit with, you know, the first pandemic in 100 years, global pandemic, and, and, uh, and then a very, very strong response, both from fiscal authorities and from us, followed by the outbreak of inflation, followed by the war in, <clears throat> in Ukraine. You know, if you had perfect hindsight, uh, you, you'd go back and it probably would have been better for us to have raised rates a little, a little sooner. I'm not sure how much difference it would have made, but we have to make decisions in real time based on what we know then, and we did the best we could. What do you think about what he was looking at, what he did as he laid it out for us? You know, I give uh, uh, Jerome Powell maybe a C grade. I think he did a good job at the beginning of the pandemic because that was a crisis and we we're shutting down everything. And so he helped us get through that. But you can go back 10 months ago to you, when I was on your show on Fox and Friends and I said, hey, inflation is out of control. We got to do something about this. So the Fed, the Fed has been way late to the game. And, and, and that's going to make it more difficult, more fain, painful to deal with the inflation problem. So, uh, you know, he he ignored the rising. Infl- Remember last year what the line was about this, Brian? It, it's uh, what was the word? Oh, transitory. Remember, it's transitory. It's going to go away. Well, it didn't. And it's getting worse. And I think they've got to take much more aggressive action. All right, Steve, uh, don't hoard any uh, baby formula or else you're going to get yelled at. So don't do that, that you because that's the problem. And let's see if we can get, see if the economy gets it back on track by the, nick, the number of nicknames that the president gives President Trump. So those are the two strategies. Don't hoard and give the pre- former president a nickname. I wonder if, uh, if everyone feels yeah, as doomed as we do. Yeah. Stephen Moore, yeah, thanks. As I, said the other, as I said in my uh, Fox column, I said, you know, if finger pointing and, and passing the buck were a solution to inflation, then under Biden, we wouldn't have any inflation because he's very good at that. If you know, by the way, he does that in every issue, whether it's the catastrophe at the border, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's the crime surge. It's always someone else he points to. Absolutely. Go get him, Steve. Stephen Moore, thank okay. you. All right. Thanks, and, Brian. Yeah, and listen, listen to him on the radio on 77 WABC. When we come back, uh, we'll find out there's more to know. Just let me remind you, coming up Saturday, 8 o'clock, big show, One Nation on Fox News Channel. That's 8 p.m. Eastern time. Don't move. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, next, the champ himself, Tyrus, joins me. Oh, jeez. I just... <laughs> oh, you're nervous. That is... Why would you play that? That's a visual, and you can hear you laughing in the background. But it could have been many people laughing. Um, it's visual, but I feel like you still... You hear you knock the cup. You hear the water. You hear the, oh, jeez. 
All right, that's so, an outtake. So yeah, that is an outtake. <laughs> so One Nation, I'm going to be interviewing Tyrus on his book, but I wanted Gutfeld's perspective on it because Gutfeld brought him to Fox. How he and his story's great. And uh, I want to shoot the tease with Tyrus walking on. He's six foot eight inches. And I just stood up and knocked the water right you, over. You talk with your hands too much. You just knock it over all. Thankfully, though, you moved your iPad in time. And it's yes. not like the radio studio with a lot of buttons going on. Right. And for the record, I did clean it up. You did help clean up. And the staff really did appreciate that. I will yes, say they that. Yes, Let's find out if it's even more to know than that. More to know. Netflix has fired a major warning to its woke employees saying uh, the, say they have a new policy. And it should have been the policy all along. Entertain the world is an amazing opportunity and also a challenge, they write to their employees, because viewers have very different tastes and views. So we offer a wide variety of TV shows, movies, and some of which can be provocative. As employees, we support the principles of Netflix offers a diversity of stories. Even if we find some titles counter to our own personal values, depending on your role, you may need to work on your titles you perceive to be harmful. If you find it hard to do that, then maybe the Netflix is not uh, the best place for you. This is so great because remember how old there's there, everyone's so upset that Dave Chappelle's special was going to air on Netflix and he said something that might have been perceived as anti-trans and all the employees complained. They see what happened with Disney well, and they are and they are stepping up. Well, I think that's exactly it. I think they were probably annoyed with the whole Chappelle thing, right? Because they couldn't say goodbye to him, but their employees, it was, you know, like a handful of them. But then after Disney, I mean, you talked about it actually last week on One Nation. These companies are starting to push back now that they realize, oh, wait, this is going to hurt our bottom line. And especially because they can't afford it anymore because it's such a miserable uh, 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 earnings report because so many people uh, so many people uh, have unsubscribed. Next, Jerry Judy, um, the Denver Bronco wide receiver, was arrested on Thursday in Colorado. Uh, that is confirmed to Fox Digital. The 23-year-old was put in jail uh, and suspected of second-degree criminal tampering with a domestic violence enhancer. What the heck? Deputies were called to a home, his home around 10-15 after the mom, the mom of Judy's one-month-old child called authorities saying, uh, asking for a keep-the-peace situation between her and the wide receiver. The woman was described by authorities as being in an ongoing relationship. She told Debbie that she had property and the wide receiver was in control of, which included a wallet and a child car seat. Brown noted there was no physical contact between them. Judy will appear in county court on Friday. People got to control themselves. 100%. Next. Americans flocked to these 10 cities last year. I was shocked that one wasn't on there. Ready? Number 10, Chicago. 10, Chicago. The, 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 where people are moving. Number 9, Austin, Texas. Orlando is 8. Dallas is 7. San Antonio, 6. Denver, 5. 4 is Charlotte. Three is Phoenix, two is Vegas, and one is Houston. I'm surprised by that. Why? What, what surprises you? Because, number one, Houston extremely hot. I love Houston, but it's extremely hot in the summer. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, number two, Las Vegas. Is that really a that destination? Um, I mean, I thought they were economically flat on their back. Yeah, it's but it's it's a fun place to be. There's a lot going on all the time, and even though it can be very hot in the summer. And there's Chicago? Always Who's Chicago? Chicago? Um, you know what? We both have a very good mutual coworker who might be in Chicago this weekend. So people do want to check out the city still, even though you see all the violence. No, no, he's coming to visit Carly. No, oh, we have, that's a different mutual fr- colleague. Oh. Okay, sorry. <laughs> all right, understood. Recent study of 2,000 adults reveals that 55% believe the French way of life seems better than the American way of life, and 50% fantasize about living in France. Uh, meanwhile, for those previously moved to the country or who would consider doing so, the reasons would include city life, 
36%. Food, 35%. A better lifestyle, 35%. Paris is the most popular location to relocate for 27% of respondents and 20% of the French Riviera, 18% on Lyon. Uh, do I say it, Lyon? Do I say it right? I think the first time, Lyon. Okay. I'm shocked by that. I mean, France got history, but who wants to live in France? They have, they're not a great economic power. They got a lot of economic uh, strife. They, I like the history, but it is old. It is, but I feel like it's like more of like an aspirational thing, right? It's not a realistic. Yeah, I really want to live there and like build a better life. It's, it would be cool to live there for a year if I could and not have to worry about anything else. But like, why France? I mean, it's all hype. Yeah. It's all hype. I think once you get there, you realize a lot of traffic, a lot of smoking. Big into smoking over there. But lots of wine. And they leave, I'm telling you, they leave, the grandkids leave their parents, and the kids leave their parents at home in the city, <laughs> and they go vacation, and a lot of times they don't have air conditioning. Again, we're looking into that story. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.